0: Well, it is good to have you with us, whether you're with us on campus or online or later this week on demand. We're here today to worship Jesus Christ. And, and I just have to tell you, it's been a wonderful time of worship so far today here on campus. And I want you to know that uh, this is uh, the second or third week now that we're into this series called Who is God? And I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today because here's what I know. I, I know that there's a lot of confusion A lot of confusion about who God is. I mean, the the reality is God exists, right? And and yet we only know God through our experience of Him, and so we end up with things like you know you've got your God, I've got my God, they've got their God, and and in fact we even use that kind of language, just in my God, all right? It's my God, all right? Well, no, no, no. Listen, He's God, (laughs) and He's bigger than just your God, and and He's bigger than just my God. He's God of all the creation. He's God of all the universe. He is creator God. At least the God of the Bible is that kind of God. And unfortunately, because we are subject to our own humanity and because we're often caught in those traps of just being able to to express what we've experienced, we fail to recognize that there's some confusion about who God is. And the confusion has to do with this. As human beings, we tend to equate power with punishment. Uh, we're like, you know what? If, if, if somebody's got the power, then they have the right to punish us. I, I'm not sure exactly where it comes from. Maybe it's, you know, when you're a little kid and you're going to touch that burner and your mama knows it's the burner and it's going to hurt you. And your mama says, don't touch that burner. And you're like, she's got all the power. <laughs> and, 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 and so I, you, know, you kind of resent that power a little bit. And so we have people who have an idea about God that god is this cosmic uh, personality who's sitting up in heaven waiting for us to mess up waiting for us to do what we've been told not to do so that he can look down and and basically throw thunderbolts at us and punish us because we 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 live in this world where where there's this bad god narrative this bad god story and the story kind of basically talks about the fact that that, well you know god God can't be trusted to be good, because God is the one who has to judge us and punish us and, and and over the years, whether it's whether it's been in the kind of religious systems where where people brought offerings and they and they said, you know, this offering is better than that offering, or, or whether it's the kind of religious system where, you know, in order to appease the gods, you have to throw a person into the volcano, or what, whatever it is that, that you see or hear, uh, there, there's this sense that God is angry and that God needs to be appeased, all right? And And to be honest with you, there's a story in the Bible, in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus encounters that idea. And this morning, we're going to look at the entire ninth chapter of John. I'm not going to take you verse by verse through it, but but I want to encourage you this week in your devotions to to read the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, and and to listen to what it really is trying to say. And and this morning, we're going to kind of pull that apart and look at it and say, okay, how can we get a a good narrative, a correct narrative, the narrative Jesus had of who God is. And so I'd like you to to understand this bad God narrative is a a narrative that that views God as, as punitive and angry, and he's here to punish us. And here in John 9 is how that gets worked out. Jesus and his disciples are walking by. In fact, John used this phrase, as Jesus passed by. I love that phrase. As Jesus passed by. People are just living life, and as Jesus passes by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I, I want you to get that in your brain. Blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind like this? Now, in this ninth chapter, there are, there are four audiences. The first audience is the blind man, okay? The, the, the second audience is the group of disciples who are following Jesus. They're, they're new on this journey. They, they've watched him do some miracles. They've seen him do some things nobody else had done. They've heard him teach some things, and now they're following him. And, and, and so, they're, they're a part of the audience. The, the, the third audience is this man's neighbors and his family and the people that know him. And they've known him all of his life. He's always been blind. And they know that about him. And then the fourth audience is a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And so to these, to these four audiences, Jesus is about to speak truth into a, into a bad God narrative. Because as I told you earlier, this question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind grows out of a bad God narrative. A bad God narrative, because, first of all, the people believed—this was an actual belief in the first century—that uh, that a child, while still in their mother's womb, could actually sin. There was something that they had figured out that uh, that, that was an explanation that they had to have in order to explain the pain around them. Or that, that if someone was born with an, a, a disformed body or, or with some kind of genetic situation— that that could be the result of their parents' sin, kind of like fetal alcohol syndrome that, that we know about here, that, that there, there, there was something passed down. And, and yet it was bigger than the kind of genetic pieces. It was, a, it was a spiritual concept that these people basically used to control their world. See, that's why these narratives are so important. Narratives are how we control the world around us. I've been interested to watch all of us over the last couple of years now, almost. Uh, these eight, 18, 19, 20 months of COVID and the global pandemic. And, and, and I've been curious to see how, I mean, when everything is turned upside down, right? I mean, when in 72 hours, we end up pivoting from in-person gatherings and, and it starts going, you remember how it went down? It was like, first of all, you can't get any crowd bigger than 150 people. Uh, and then it was 100 people, and then it was 75 people, and it got all the way down to like 12 people. You can't have more than 12 people in the room. People with large families were in deep weeds, all right, at that moment. And, and you remember how when that all happened, there, there was this sense for us of, of everything is topsy-turvy. Everything's been turned upside down. And so what do you do when the world gets crazy? You try to control it. And that's where these bad God narratives come from. These people couldn't explain why a man was born blind. And so they came up with ways of controlling the craziness by creating a view of God that is a bad God narrative. A bad God narrative that says and believes that God is a punitive, angry God waiting to punish us. And if that's who you think God is today, first of all, I just want to say, I'm amazed that you're in the room or that you're tuning in online. Because if, that, if that's who I thought God was, I'm not sure I'd want to be around God. And I sure wouldn't want to be around people who were like Him, alright? And, and, and I wouldn't want to be a part of the people of God if that's who God is. But, but it's because the only thing we know about God in many of our cases is what we have experienced, and we've tried to control our experience by creating these stories, these narratives, these belief systems about God. So these disciples, these men who were following Jesus. All they had ever known was this worldview, this narrative, this story that God is waiting to punish people and he will punish even little children. And so when they see this man who's been blind his entire life, they they turn to Jesus. He's the Messiah, they think. They're, They're kind of staking their lives on it. They're following him. So he's supposed to have answers And and the answers they're seeking, here's the fun part of this story, because it's what we do all the time, too. We seek answers that reinforce our narratives. We seek answers that fit in our way of viewing the world. And so what what they say to Jesus is not, Jesus, how did this guy get to be blind? I mean, that's kind of like the logical question, right? No, no, no. they got to back up their worldview. So what they say is, hey, Jesus, did this man sin and that made him blind? Or was it his parents' fault? And Jesus, Jesus responds to their question out of their bad God narrative with this amazing narrative about a God who is so good that he desires what is best in the life of his people. See, that's, that's a foundational paradigm shift. I I told the small group that met with me in here on Wednesday night, this last Wednesday, I used to keep a cartoon, a big paper cartoon in my office. I still have it. I just don't have it on the wall. The cartoon was was a, a, a chick, a little baby chick, and it had the broken egg. So what you realize is this little chicken has now been birthed out of the egg, right? And the caption on it was, wow, paradigm shift, because all he ever knew up until then was inside that egg. And now suddenly there's a whole world. And now this is what Jesus is about to do to the disciples. Look, your little world says that there's a punitive, angry God who's waiting up in heaven, looking down, waiting for you to fail. And so you're going to do everything you can to appease this angry God so that he doesn't get angry with you. And so you're going to try harder and you're going to work harder and you're going to try to be a good person and you're going to do all this good stuff. And Jesus walks into the room and says, bad narrative. Let me give you the way I see God. Oh, and by the way, when Jesus says, let me tell you the way I see God, you might want to listen. Because Jesus is the one and only Son of God. So the reality is, if anybody knows what their father is really like, it's their child. Now, without anybody pointing, looking, or raising hands, I want you to think for a minute about what you know about your parents that nobody else in the world knows. Now, for some of you, that's a painful thing, all right? You know how they cuss and swear and fight, and then like, oh, hi, how y'all doing? Okay? Some of you know how deep their pain is. But what I want you to understand is that God is consistent. And what God is doing when he sends Jesus here is he's sending somebody here who knows his very heart, who shares his very existence, who shares his very essence. And so what Jesus is doing is Jesus in his ministry, in his life, is confronting all of these bad ideas about who God is with the correct idea about who God is. So when these guys look at Jesus and say, hey, who sinned? this guy or his parents? regardless of how ridiculous we think the question is that a baby could sin inside its mother's womb, they were sincere. And with their sincerely bad God narrative, they turned to the Son of God and say, what's the answer? And look what Jesus says to them. Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So first of all, Jesus says, look, it wasn't this guy. It wasn't his parents. But this guy is, is blind from birth so that we can understand a couple of things. One is that this entire world, not just the hearts of humanity, but this entire world fell when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. You and I don't live in the perfect world that God created. We live in a fallen world, a world in which sickness and disease exist because humans made a choice not to live in the world God created. You have to get that understanding to understand the true narrative of God. If you don't have a worldview that says that creation is fallen, then you don't have a worldview that allows you to understand the true nature of the redemptive process of God. As beautiful as the world is, as amazing as the world is, as absolutely marvelous as a sunrise or a sunset is, or, or the intricacies of, of a plant, or the, or the amazing seasonal change that, that happens every year, all of that beauty, all of that stuff in creation, it gives you a glimpse of God, but it doesn't tell you the full story of God because it's existing in a state of fallenness. And when it does, sickness results. And in our attempt to control what we experience, we begin to say, oh, no, 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 it just, it's just like this, okay? You sinned, they sinned, somebody had to sin in order for there to be this. Well, yeah, okay, it goes all the way back to the origin. So I've had to answer that question as a pastor. When, you're, when you get the phone call that says, hey, pastor, my 12-year-old daughter is dying of leukemia. The, the, the doctors tell us that all that's keeping her alive is the ventilator and that we need to shut that down pastor we, we, we can't do that by ourselves would you, would you come and, and be with us or, or when you get the phone call that says my, my, my teenage son has just been in a car accident they tell us he's brain dead what do we do well let me explain to you what you don't do you don't go, well, now what sin did you commit that made your child have to suffer like that? Because that's not, that's not the true narrative of God. No, what, what you have to do is have an understanding that sickness and disease and pain and corruption and all the stuff we see in the mess of humanity, all of that is the result of the fallenness, not just of us, but of the world in which we live. And we live in that world. And even though we're a part of the kingdom of God, we're impacted by and we impact that world. And so what Jesus says is, look, it wasn't this man and it wasn't his parents, But he has been impacted by the sinfulness of the world. And so his blindness is a demonstration of what God can redeem. When it talks about the works of God might be displayed, it wasn't like God set up in heaven and said, Oh, his name is Joe. He's going to be blind. So someday my son can make a miracle with him. Uh Uh-uh. That's not it. What it is is that we live in this world where we encounter the failure, we encounter the fallenness, we encounter the sickness, the disease. It impacts us. And the heart of God for his children, the heart of God for his people, the heart of God for the world is that they would be who he wants them and created them to be. And so what he does is he says, look, I need my people to do my works. Look at what he said. That's a we up there in that scripture. Jesus didn't just say, well, he did this so I could come in and heal him and everybody think I'm wonderful. No, we, that's a collective we. That's if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in this world to be an agent of the redemption of God. To be a person who is about bringing light into the darkness. That's why he says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. The fact is, A bad God narrative can mess with your mind and mess with your relationships. And quite honestly, church, I think it's why we've got so much pushback right now. Because so many of us, even within the people of God, function as if God is someone who's angry and waiting to punish us. Some of you may be looking at me going, well, now, pastor... I've never asked, is someone blind because, because of their sin or their parents' sin? No, but have you asked the question, did someone die of COVID because they were vaccinated or not vaccinated? Let's put this on the front burner. H- have you asked yourself, is someone's child rebelling because they were bad parents or good parents? Can, can I tell you something? Their child is rebelling because they're parents. Period. I've seen some of the best parents. One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard in my life came from James Dobson, with whom you may or may not agree on many things. But about 40 years ago, he made a statement that just like set me up as a parent. Because he made this statement in a setting where I was at, and I loved it. He said this. He said, you can be the world's greatest Christian parent. Raise your children with every value for Jesus that you own and possess. Share it with them. But at some point in time, they have to own it for themselves. And if they choose to reject the values of Jesus that you've taught and modeled in front of them, you need to hear me, parent. That's not your fault. I went, wow! Free at last, free at last. <laughs> see, see, the good God of Jesus is just. He is just. And being just is bigger than being judgmental. See, judgmental means you're critical of people. Judgmental means you're, you're devaluing or valuing people. You're making a judgment about them. But just Just, go look it up, Google it. You're going to find just means correct, right, forever. A high moral standard. The God of Jesus is a God who is not angry and punitive. To be just does not mean to be vindictive. No, no, to be just means to live within a sense of a higher moral code. And God Is the highest moral code. And you know what his code is? It was in that verse. And Jesus is going to make it even more plain for us in the next few verses. See, doing the work that we might do the work of Jesus, we might do the work of God. It means being the people who bring the love, the grace, the mercy, the redemption that Jesus came to bring. That's our work. Have you ever ever seen people Who've been in a place like a cave or a basement and, and it's like so pitch black you can't even see and when you first come up out of it into the light, do you know what people's face, I really, it's kind of fun, it would be neat to like take pictures of people because I've seen these things like, oh, whoa, wait, wait, hold on. Whoa, wait a minute, whoa, whoa I'm, I'm, going, I'm going back down in the basement where it's dark and I can trip over stuff. Instead of staying up here in the light and letting my life adjust to the light. So I think there are some folks who meet Jesus and Jesus says, hey, look, I'm going to bring some new ways of living life. I'm going to bring some new values into your life. I'm going to teach you some things. And we go, whoa, whoa, and then that, 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 whoa that doesn't feel like what I've always known. Exactly. That's what redemption is all about. It's about rescuing you from yourself. Bringing you into a new sense of living with justness instead of judgmentalness here's the way Jesus said it to him as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world okay stop if you're here on on campus or online and you've asked jesus christ to forgive you of your sins and to come and take up residence in your life to live inside of you here's what you've got to know you become Jesus to the world. Rightly or wrongly, success or failure, they're going to they're embrace the Jesus they see in you. Now, I know you're just human, and so am I, and none of us is perfect. Thank God you're not, because that'd make me feel bad, all right? But the reality is that we are the people of God. And as the people of God, there's a sense in which we bring light into the darkness, and I love the way Jesus approaches this, because what Jesus does is, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. Now catch this. This is, this is huge. They're asking Jesus when they see the man born blind, the disciples are, Jesus is this man blind because of the sin of his life or the sin of his They're asking a theological question. And Jesus answers them in this very just fashion in which he says, okay, look, I'm going to show you what moral high authority is. It's not all your questions. It's not all your ideas. It's not all your theologizing, your philosophizing. You know, let me tell you what, it's making blind people see. And I'm going to do it in the most crass and human way you can think. I'm going to spit on the ground. I mean, I love this. I mean, Jesus could have just like waved his hand. If he's a TV preacher, he'd have asked for money for it, all right? <laughs> uh, but, but what he did was he, 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 just, he just reached He took something very literally earthy. He spit in the dirt. And this blind man who has never opened his eyes to see anything his entire life, his eyes have never worked, suddenly feels, I mean, he's heard the question. He's heard the answer. But nobody warns him that Jesus is about to spit and make mud and give him a facial. And Jesus does. He takes the mud from his own saliva and he makes a pack of mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he could have just said, okay, now wipe it off and you can see. No, he had to check the man out. See, sometimes we just want Jesus to do the miracle for us without us obeying the command he's given us. What he said to the man was, go to the pool of Siloam, that means sent, I'm sending you down to the place where this mixture of mud is going to give you sight. See, sometimes Jesus breaks into our world in spite of our bad God narratives, and he offers us love and grace and mercy and redemption. And he says, but listen, in order to receive that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, I want you to acknowledge who I am. I want you to acknowledge that I am a just God. I want you to acknowledge that I'm not judgmental, and I don't want you to be judgmental. What I want you to to do is to to understand that I'm going to coach you from here on out. So go down and do this, and you will see a result. And so the man took the instructions. He went down to the pool and he washed the mud off his face and here's the fun part he came back to where he had been and he could see he could see but get this Jesus had already moved on see the good God narrative that Jesus teaches us is one that that says you know what god is just not judgmental and and this good god maintains his justness by acting in our life yeah and by believing when i cannot believe see did you hear anything that jesus said when i read the passage did he say to the man well do you need to quote me the four spiritual laws Did he say, quote me the Old Testament prophets? He didn't say anything like that. All he he asked the man to do was to respond to what he had been offered. Take the mud on your face, go to the pool, wash your face. And when the man did, when the man did, he was able to see. See, a good and gracious God who loves us and wants what's best for us will not give us instructions that will kill us or hurt us or harm us. He will give us some instructions that will stretch us. I mean, can you imagine what this guy's thinking? Man, I got mud all over my face. This strange dude from Nazareth, they call him Jesus, put mud on my face. And, and by the way, somebody had to, lead, he was blind, somebody had to lead him down the thing. Somebody else is probably saying, oh, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. when he got there and he did what Jesus asked him to do he could see see it's important to know that because when Jesus shows up in your life and starts doing stuff there are going to be some people who don't understand that's why I ask you to read this ninth chapter of John in your devotions this week for those of you that do devotions for those of you that don't do devotions start this week read it okay because I, I'm telling you, this story is amazing. Remember those four audiences? Okay, he's already Jesus already talked to the disciples. And he's shown them. And the man himself can now see. But his neighbors and his family and the Pharisees, the rest of this chapter is about how they react to the man's healing. How they react to a good God doing a good thing for the children he loves. And what happens is that that the neighbors look at him and go, is that the right guy? Somebody said, no, 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 no. No, no guy that's ever been born blind has ever been able to see. That's just no. See, they, they didn't want their bad God narrative interrupted by God. You might want to consider that sometime. If you don't want your bad God narrative interrupted by the actual God, then you're worshiping a false idol. And what, and what, what Jesus did was he healed the guy. The guy comes back, and all, all of his friends and neighbors are like, what? And then they, they tell him, all right, they tell the Pharisees, right? So now you got the last audience. you got the Pharisees. And the Pharisees show up, and they're like, no, Jesus did that on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. We don't, you, you, can't, you can't work on the Sabbath. That's against our narrative of God. That's against our religious system. And so they bring this guy in and they say to him, hey, tell us what happened. He said, well, I'll tell you just like I told my neighbors and my family. There was this guy named Jesus. He showed up. He put mud on my face. He told me to go down and wash my face. I washed my face and now I can see. And they're like, was it on the Sabbath? He said, well, yeah, but I can see. And they're like, no, wait a minute. He shouldn't do that. And they get in this big argument. In fact, the argument gets so bad that they actually call his parents in. They call his parents in and say to him, hey, look, is this your son? They're like, yep, that's our son. Was he born blind? Yep, blind from the day he was born. Well, then how does he see? I don't know. Because, see, they already knew. The Pharisees had made a prediction, a a promise, a proclamation that if anybody confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, because they already knew about Jesus— And they said, if anybody says Jesus is the Messiah, then we're going to throw them out of the synagogue. Now, here's the most amazing thing to me. The most amazing thing to me is that this good God that Jesus teaches us about, He he maintains that justness, that high moral authority, by believing when I can't believe. Because as these guys keep questioning this blind man, and at one point he looks at the Pharisees and says, are y'all wanting to be his disciples? I've already told you three times what's going on here. Surely you're just wanting to figure it out, right? And they're like, who are you to teach us? You were born in sin. Well, the reason they say he was born in sin is because they do believe that he was blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. They believe that. And so he, when he's like, no, I, I, this man healed me, they're like, nope, that can't work. It doesn't fit our system. Doesn't fit in our paradigm. And so what happens? (laughs) They keep talking and interrogating the guy, telling him how bad Jesus is, when finally he looks at him and says, whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. See, here's, here's something you've got to know. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, he believes in you. And whether you accept Jesus or not, he's already accepted you. And whether you are willing to accept his acceptance is the real key. Because what Paul tells us in Romans, what Peter tells, tells the church and, and the people listening on the day of Pentecost, is that when Jesus was resurrected, he ascended to be with the Father And that right now, Jesus of Nazareth, the same guy who put mud on this man's face, the same guy who healed this man of his blindness, wants to heal you of whatever's happening in your life, your pain, your suffering, your heartache, all the stuff we've all endured the last 18, 19, 20 months. All the loss, all the heartache. He wants to do that for us. The question is, will we accept his acceptance? The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8. It's a great, great chapter that kind of ends with this, these verses that we already know. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? All of that, right? But if you go back a few verses into Romans chapter 8, verse like 26, 27, you find an interesting thing. What it says there is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is actually in heaven, in the presence of God the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, when we don't have the right words to say, because some of you are like, man, pastor, man, the stuff in my life is just so overwhelming, I can't find the words and, 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 and yet that's okay. All he's looking for is not your description, he's looking for your decision. He's looking for you to say to him, hey Jesus, I believe you. God is good. I know I'm in pain, I know stuff is tough, but I'm trusting you with my life. Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is actually praying the words you can't pray. But it gets better. On down in verse 36, 34, 35. Just before he launches into this whole thing about nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, he tells us where Jesus is. Paul says, Jesus is in the same place the Spirit is. You've got the Trinity in the same room. God on the throne, Jesus at the right hand, the Spirit in the room, and the Spirit's interceding with the words you can't say, and Jesus is interceding for your forgiveness, for your redemption. See, Jesus' narrative about God is so substantial, it's so good, it's so powerful. It's not about punishment, it's about the power to literally change the world by changing you. He believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. Oh, church, if we could just understand how much Jesus believes in us, what he really wants to do in our heart what he really wants to do in the world, if we would really be the people of God in the kingdom of God, living in impact with the kingdom of darkness, living in impact with the hurt and the fallenness and the failure of life, if we could just believe that that really was for us, then we'd understand that the good God of Jesus gives me reason to hope in the midst of the pain in my life. The Pharisees did exactly what they promised they would do to this man, born blind. When he confessed, you know what, he used to be blind, now I see. Jesus is the reason for that. They kick him out of the synagogue. They throw him away from his heritage. They throw him away from his social connection. They throw him away from all the relational pieces of his life, and they cast him out. Maybe that's where you've been. Maybe that's where the church is today. Maybe that's why the world is pushing back on us so much. Because maybe our God narratives have not been the right ones. And now as we're trying to get the right ones, we've got to figure it out. But look what happens. Look what Jesus does to people who've been cast out. Jesus heard that they had cast the blind man out. And so he finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man formerly blind said, who is he, sir? Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. I love that. The man until that day hadn't seen anybody. He'd been blind his whole life. And Jesus says, you've seen him. And he's the one who's speaking to you right now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Today is the first Sunday of October. Here at Eastside, on the first Sunday of the month, we come to the Lord's table with all of our narratives about God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And every time we come to the table, Jesus asks us to remember. He asks us to remember that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that's why We have the bread. For those of you on campus, I can already hear, a lot of you, you know, you've already reached underneath your chair. If you're new here today underneath your chair, there's a a little set for you to take communion with us. And by the way, even if you're a guest here today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome at His table in this place. You don't have to be a member of this church in order to take communion with us. But I would say to you, you need to be a follower of Jesus. But I would also very quickly say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is a great day to become one. It's a great day for you to understand that this little wafer is a symbol that the God of the universe became a baby in a manger, a boy in a temple, a man walking on water, and a Savior who died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day. Only the real God can do that. And if you would open up the cup, the color of that cup reminds you, no, well, the color of the liquid in it reminds you that it was by His blood shed on that cross. That the sins of the whole world but most importantly, your sins and mine were forgiven. And that when he was resurrected on the third day, it was to show us that death cannot conquer the people of God. That The kingdom of God that begins now in our hearts when we accept Jesus, that that kingdom is eternal. And so every time we drink this cup and every time we eat this bread, it's a, it's a reminder to us that God is good and that he desires the best for his children and his creation and his promise is to come and redeem us because he's already paid the price he just wants to know are we willing are we willing to let go of our bad God narratives about an angry, punitive, punishing God And embrace a God narrative that Jesus tells us, that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in that Son would not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. And if you're here today, whether you're online with us, and for those of you online, I know you've already been given instructions, and I hope you've gathered bread and cup where you are because in just a moment sarah's going to sing a song and while she sings it i invite you to place the wafer in your mouth to drink the cup and remember that there's a good good father who loves And after you take the elements, whenever you're ready, I invite you to stand and join with Sarah in singing the words of truth that she's going to share with us now. Whenever you're ready, may the cup of Christ and the bread of Christ remind you of the life He offers you.